Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody. My hands went on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your host, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And that's the half past four and I'm shifting gear. Hello, everybody, and obviously not John Harlow and Clayton Caldwell here tonight. Clayton Caldwell with Philip Matthew and Spencer Cowan here as a little bit of a technical malfunction here to start the show. Um, but it is Talking in Circles tonight. We're reviewing Dover, and we're talking about the 2019 rule package. Uh, Kyle Bush made some headlines. We're going to discuss that in a little bit as well as Kevin Harvick's comments from today. Bob Levine was also on Twitter, the owner of the number 95 car. He was on Twitter this week and made some comments about the package as well. We'll discuss all that, review the race from Dover, and we'll take your phone calls. 917-889-8280 is the number here on Talking Circles tonight uh, for if you want to join the show. Uh, it was the Gander RV400 from Dover International Speedway. Martin Trex Jr. was your winner. Alex Bowman finished second. Kyle Larson was third. Kevin Harvick was fourth. And Chase Elliott was your top five. Uh, an interesting start to the race, Philip. We saw... Uh, Martin Trex Jr. and Alex Bowman go to the rear of the field due to un- unapproved adjustments. Also went back. There was Matt Tift, although he uh, failed inspection. Tift had to do a pass-through penalty, and Ryan Priest also went to the rear as well. Priest, unfor- unfortunately for him, didn't have as much luck as uh, Bowman and Truex. As Bowman and Truex were able to work their way to the field and get the one-two f- uh, finishes, uh, Ryan Priest ended up 28th. But uh, an interesting race for Martin Truex Jr., you know, this is a guy who, when he won his first race ever in the Cup Series, it was a Monday afternoon rain-delayed race at Dover International Raceway. Um, guess what happened on Sunday? A rain-delayed race on a Monday at Dover, and he goes to victory lane. What were your thoughts on Martin Shrek Jr.'s run there uh, for his second win of the 2019 season? And is this a sign, Philip, now where we saw Shrek's Get off to a little bit of a slower start than what we've seen in the past couple of years for him. Is this a sign now where all is well in the 19 camp and Martin Truex Jr. is going to be a championship contender again this year? What are your thoughts on that whole situation here with Truex at Dover? Yeah, I mean, to go and fail inspection or whatever, I think you failed inspection too with Alex Bowman, but he went from tailback, as Rusty loves to say, and and by the end of by the start of that third segment, he took off, and that was the end of the race. Uh, that looked like some of his runs he had in the '78 car over the recent years. It took a little bit of time for them to get used to being in the in Charlotte and with the Joe Gibbs organization full force. But I think it's more the same of what you know Martin Truex and Cole Pern have been doing the last few years. And, uh, I mean, that's a bad sign for a lot of these teams. Uh, he's also, in the last two races, which we were talking offline about Richmond and this race, how I think uh, Cole and, and Martin have figured out how to make this package work, uh, you know, at, whatever racetracks are running it because they've made some rule changes for some of the races later this year, but for whatever the 750 rule package, it looks like the 19 team is 
one of, if not the top line team at the moment. So, I mean, you got to give him credit. He put a whooping on him in the second half of the race. And uh, I mean, Alex Bowman now two straight runner-up finishes. He's on a little bit of a, a heater, which is interesting. The Chevy camp, which I think we'll go into more detail here as we go through this recap, but the Chevy camp showed a lot of um, strength uh, this weekend or this past Monday. It's, but it's a bad sign for everybody that Martin Truex and them have figured it out. Now they're they're pretty solid. They're going to be able to, you know, do the R&D that they have to do to get ready for the the playoff. And uh, it, other than that, I mean, the Chevy the Chevy's actually coming back and actually being somewhat competitive. Four, three or four of them were really competitive on uh, Monday afternoon, and that's a good sign for people who are a fan of the Boat Tiger game. Heck yeah, you know, and, and this is, you know, they ran good at Talladega, and Talladega is sort of an outlier, obviously, we know with, with the rule package there and how they run in a pack at Talladega, and the draft means so much that, um, you know, it's sort of an outlier, it's it's a race that, you know, you, you take with a grain of salt, you give him credit, where credit's due, Chase Elliott won that race, and he deserves credit for it, but where you really want to see this team, this Chevrolet team perform and start to really catch up to the field are other racetracks, and Right now, at least at Dover, now Dover has historically been one of Jimmy Johnson and Chevrolet's best racetracks over the last 10 or 15 years. So keep that in mind as we move forward here. A big test for, for Hendrick and for the Chevrolet camp is going to be Kansas this weekend on a mile-and-a-half track. That's when a majority of our tracks are run. Um, that's going to be a big test to see if Chevrolet has closed the gaps here on Toyota and Ford. But a, a certainly a, a nice race for momentum. Bowman, we mentioned him going to the rear. He qualified originally fifth, had speed in that 88 car all day. Dover is one of his better racetracks. Led some race, some laps early. Um, in the middle part of that race, really had a, a fast race car for a lot of that race. You know, that he chased down his teammate Chase Elliott and passed him. Chase led early, led a lot. Um, but it was really a race where Alex Bowman, I think, sort of was just one step away. Now, Truex, you mentioned, got to a huge lead at the end of that race, a nine-and-a-half-second lead, a margin of victory for him. Let the last uh, 132 laps, he was gone. You know, only the top 11 were on the, in the lead lap in this race. Um, so he was gone at the end of that race, and, and he basically could have lapped up until the top 10. He basically gave Suarez a break because he had a nine-and-a-half-second lead. Um, so he was, he was flying, Truex. But certainly, I think when you look at that, not only – Truex, because I think it's good to see that he's dominating races again, because this is what he did when he was right. And last year, there was a lot of distractions with that team, no doubt about it. I think it affected the way that team went into the playoffs. Um, and I think it might even affected the start this year, where they were sort of getting their bearings figured out how they wanted it to do this. You know, it's not Denver, Colorado anymore. It's Joe Gibbs racing. And I think it took them a little bit while, maybe 10, 15, 10, 10, 8, 10 races here to get their legs underneath them. We saw him win at Richmond earlier in the year. Um, and here he is now going to the Dover and just dominating this race, uh, at least the second half of this race here, uh, a nice win for him, but also Alex Bowman. I mean, this is a guy, Philip, who I've come out and said, I think this could be a guy who is replaced at Hendrick Motorsports at the end of the year, or at least he doesn't have a contract to, uh, for the, in 2020. Uh, you know, he's sort of – you're looking at it going, okay, you know, can they make a move for him? Um, 
But to me, it, it's a race where he kind of went out and proved himself that he can get the get the job done if the race car is right. Yeah, I mean, it's the the Bowman. I think he was kind of having to prove himself and uh, feel. Uh, you know, he may have felt like he was kind of on the hot seat a little bit over the last few weeks or things in terms of what's going on with him. So his momentum shift and being able to start running well is a good sign for him. And and I think deep down, they they Hendrick has had some belief in him. Of course, Junior had belief in him. And with that, the fact they've had this turn positive turn of uh, a couple second places in a row. He's, you know, pretty solid right now in the playoff hunt, but it's not out of the realm of possibility that the 88 car could go back to victory lane, which is something that you haven't been able to really say since 2015, outside of when Alex Bowman ran that one race at Phoenix and almost won. Right. Oh, I totally agree. That's the race that I, when I thought of him, um, you know, in this race, I said, "What well, is this his best race of his cup career? Certainly the race I thought about was the race at Phoenix where he almost won substituting for Dale Earnhardt Jr. And you forget about that race because he was so, um, you know, just – he was subbing at the time. He wasn't really hired as a full-time driver of that 88 car yet. And he went out there and, and led a ton of laps. I think he finished third or fourth in that race, did a great job. But this was, to me, his best race other than that Phoenix race. Um he was one of the only people the... that could actually work the high line, too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, he, was, like he was Literally, great. he was the only person that could work the high line. Mm-hmm. And a third-place run, Spencer Cowan, for uh, Kyle Larson. You know, we, we, we've talked at nauseum about this year for Larson and how tough of, of a season it's been for him. Um, you know, but a third-place run, he got stage points at both stages. For him, it's a solid weekend. Obviously, didn't lead a lap, didn't have the fastest race car of the day, but it was a solid day for Kyle Larson. Stopped the bleeding. He was in the conversation. Uh, now he finds him get, get get some well needed points. Is this the, the time we see Kyle Larson sort of turn his season around here? Do you think this race at Dover is going to be when we look back at Larson's season, we're going to say that's when it all changed? Do you think this weekend at Dover is is that race for Kyle Larson? I mean, I sure hope so. Um, no, but he even said himself, this is, uh, this is like you said, their best race. And, you know, what are we, 10 or 11 races in, whatever it is, somewhere around there. And, uh, yeah, he struggled all year. And, uh, you know, with the way his teammate Kurt Busch has been running, you everybody's been wondering what's wrong with the 42. Um, but, yeah, you know, momentum's huge. So if uh, he has uh, keeps continuing this uh, top, top fives, top tens, or just finishing races, let's just cross the finish line. And uh, so, yeah, maybe um, maybe that's going to help him. That's going to say, okay, they know they can do it. You know, they know nothing's wrong with the race cars because uh, they just proved it at Dover. Um, so, yeah, let's uh, hope because as of last week, he was outside of the top 16. So um, if he, he really needs these good runs, if he wants to make the playoffs or if he keeps continuing to run like he was before Dover, um, good luck making the playoffs. Yeah, I I think this is could be the year uh, the race where we look at Larson and again, maybe we're we're throwing Dover in in as too important so far, um, because it's wow. not like a mile and a half track. It's sort of out on its on its own there, um, no uh, on its own there for for 
all the races and stuff. So I think um, as far as Dover is concerned, I might be giving it too much hype there and, and too much to where I'm saying, hey, um, it means too much to these Chevrolet drivers. But I think it was a good sign. Chevrolet was fast. They didn't win. I'm sure they're very disappointed they didn't win, but they're fast on Sunday. Position 6 through 10 on, on – excuse me, on Monday. Position 6 through 10 on Monday, um, it was Eric Jones in 6th, Joey Logano in 7th, William Byron 8th, Clint Boyer 9th, and Kyle Busch 10th. 11 straight top 10 finishes for Kyle Busch to start the year, the most since Morgan Shepard in 1990 when Morgan Shepard was driving for Bud Moore back then. Um, so that's a little bit of a stat for you. But interesting run there for Philip Matthew for Eric Jones. I mean, this is a guy who um, – when you think about the Gibbs cars, there's sort of three drivers out there who run really good, and then Eric Jones, who everybody kind of puts on his own island there for a little bit. I thought he ran a very solid race. He didn't lead laps. He didn't really go out there and, and light the world on fire, but he ran a solid race. Also a good run for William Byron. Um, again, you know, a guy who started on the outside of the front row, uh, a solid top 10 day for William Byron. What was nice about him was you saw him sort of fade through the field a little bit, and then come back up and make some moves. Um, the only problem I have with Byron, if I'm a William Byron fan in this race, is, and maybe it's just his, his inexperience, but it seemed like on restarts, that 24 car would just lose two or three spots in the first two or three laps, and he was sort of, you know, had had to work his way up from that. And when, when it got spread out, you know, 40, 50 laps into a run, he couldn't really do a whole lot after that. So um, that's the only thing I would say about William Byron. And the only negative I found was that he was just on restarts. He was getting beat up a little bit, but two solid runs for Eric Jones and William Byron on Sunday, on Monday, excuse me, Philip Matthew. Yeah. I mean, for Eric Jones right now, he's currently on the bump at uh, 16th uh, for the playoff. It's his second top or his fourth top 10 of the year. And I mean, he needs, he probably wants to get some, it's a good run, and when you consider Hamlin's day was basically over very early, and Kyle's almost ended the same way, but he ended up getting through because he has a golden horseshoe. Uh, the fact that Eric Jones was able to make something happen, get a sixth-place finish at a track where it's one of his, uh, generally I would say one of his better tracks. He's done well at the concrete tracks uh, over time, even when he was driving for Furniture Row and going back to when he was in a truck or an Xfinity car. So it's a good sign for him. Will Byron making progress these last uh, – I mean, I think the inexperience, you have to be the, – these restarts, you saw Larson do it, Brad do it. Some of these guys were going, you know, all out on those restarts because that's where you make your time. That's where you have to make it happen. Because it's almost, it's virtually impossible uh, to pass without like taking 30, 40, 50 laps into a run. And so you need to get yours at the start on restarts. And when you're losing three positions, when it's that difficult to pass, it's a real problem. I would say that considering him and Logano were on a different strategy, he was generally able to stay with Logano. But it, it, I think with time and with more work, more races going on, I think uh, when he actually has a good piece and he's feeling confident like this, I think Byron will figure it out. He has figured it out over time in other series. So, I mean, yeah. it's a good sign for him. And now that he's only 
right now, as of now, he's only four points out of the the cutoff. So, I mean, there's a pretty good uh, race between – there's 16 points between 14th and 20th. So, so that's a good sign there. And then the battle, basically, after Joey Logano and Kyle Busch, there's a pretty tight battle for the rest from third through seventh. So, I mean, it, the, the, it's, it's a good run. For, and, and overall, for Hendrick Motorsports to be able to go and have three cars in the top ten and Chase Elliott led the most laps and qualified on pole is a good sign. In general, yes, Chevy, it's been a Chevy track over time. Yes, Jimmy Johnson, all-time winner there, I think. Uh, then, but, you know, for those guys, it's momentum, and it's a good thing. Yeah, I can't agree more, Philip. I just think it was a... A day where you feel good about yourself leaving the racetrack if you're Hendrick Motorsports. Um, you know, and I, did you think Logano and Byron sort of made a mistake there? I mean, I would never, ch- it's hard to question Chad Knaus and Todd Gordon, two of the most respected crew chiefs in the garage area, but they made a pit stop or, or stayed out on the stage, I should say, and then they pitted and sort of everybody kind of uh, stayed out and they never really seemed to get their track position back. After that, and it was hard to pass. Drivers are complaining about it. We're going to get discuss that a little bit about Kyle Busch's comments and Harvick's comments a little bit later. But did you think uh, Logano and Byron made a mistake by staying out? Do you think – or by, by pitting there when everybody else stayed out, do you think they should have um, sort of done what everybody else did? I know when you're in the leader and you're Logano, you're kind of a sitting duck there. But it just seemed like to me um, Logano's car without clean air just wasn't as fast as it was with and it handled not as good, and he just could never find that speed back. Um, what were your thoughts on, on that little on that little move between Logano and Byron there? It didn't really work out as well for Byron because he lost position. He lost more positions, like you're talking about with those restarts. In terms of Logano, he got the stage win, and so in that sense, it, it was a positive. And I think in the end, it's a net positive because he got the playoff the stage win and the playoff point as the defending series champion, trying to do everything he can to make sure that he can defend his title. I don't, I don't see it as, and also Dover is not generally one of Joey Logano's best racetracks, especially since he's, I mean, in, in general, I mean, the most famous thing he's done at Dover in a cup car was flip in the 20 car years ago. Um, I was there. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's one of the other than that he hasn't generally done well there so i think it was as much a factor of going and todd gordon saying hey let's go and try something because we know we're going to have to come back here in a few months and it's going to mean a lot more in the end yeah they didn't they didn't get the result probably that they thought they could or wanted but they got a seven place finish they were one of the only cars that was theoretically able to pass and it's probably good r&d for when it counts in uh, October when they have to uh, close and they actually have to do well there. So, yeah, it I don't was, think it, it really was, an was interesting... a mistake for them because they got the stage win. Yeah, and and the points are are, are important. Uh, you know, the ten points for winning a stage and also the the playoff point is massive. It's going to be massive as the season goes along. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. That's the number to call. Clayton Cole, Philip Matthew, and Spencer Cowan here with you tonight. How about Stuart Haas's performance? You saw Harvick there in fourth. Daniel Suarez had a decent run in 11th. 
But Eric Amarola in 16th, he usually runs better. Uh, Clint Boyer in 9th. They're winless so far here in 2019. Are you concerned at all about Stuart Haas and what they've done here so far in 2019 and how they ran at Dover and again at RV 400 on Monday? I mean, yeah, I think now it's finally there's been enough of a enough of a, a sample size to really make a case. I've been on on record here on the show saying, oh, you know, let's wait, let's wait and see what happens. Uh, I mean, Harvick is third in points and he's a solid third in points. And he has five top fives and eight top tens, which is basically where a lot of the people around him are. But when you consider his teammates are 10th, 11th, and 12th, they're in a different zip code. Um, the top fives aren't really there. The competitive, I mean, they also have DNFs, a lot of DNFs. I mean, the the four car has four, 14, and 10 all have two DNFs this year. So that's also not great. Uh, I mean, the they need to make some moves here in this month of May, running Kansas here on Saturday night, and then also during Charlotte Speed Week, during the Coca-Cola 600, because the all-star race is just a wash and it's nonsensical. So it, they probably, if they don't win one of these two races, Coming up, I'll, it'll be a real. I would have to start really wondering about where they're at and if they are fully capable of competing. I mean, I don't think I'll. I'll never really question Harvick as long as him and Rodney Childers are together. But the other guys, it's a bigger problem, you know. And and they all benefited from how good Harvick was last year and how that package really worked for them. And all the other guys benefited on that race team. It's the same way as that he's basically the only one that's kind of out there doing something, but the rest of them aren't really following through to a point. Yeah, and I think the driver who I was most surprised about, just because his track record's pretty good here in the past, uh, was Amarola. I mean, he yeah. used, and he, he started good, and he was running okay. In the, in the first, I think, 40, 40 to 50 laps, he was running pretty good, and then all of a sudden he faded, and he just never really could – work his way back up there. So that was a little alarming, I think, for him. Uh, Kurt Busch had a weird day, too. He was 13th. You know, I think a lot of people maybe expected him to run up in the front and lead some laps, and he didn't wasn't able to do that. Really never got into the top 10 all day long in that one car. Uh, weird day for him. You know, he's had a great year, but Dover was kind of a day I'm sure he'd like to forget. Uh, other notables in this race, you had Austin Dillon in 19th, and a driver who really had a day he'd like to forget, Philip Matthew, and that's Denny Hamlin. Um, he spun out, uh, blew right front tire, and then all of a sudden, it, it, I guess what was reported was that he had uh, carbon monoxide poisoning a little bit in his side of his race car with carbon monoxide coming up because he knocked out some of the interior of that race car that would block that out. He went out on a stretcher, had to get some uh, medical work done. So a day to forget for Denny Hamlin, finished three laps down in 21st. Um, a track that's never really been great to Hamlin, but uh, Monday was a day he'd like to forget for sure. Yeah, I mean, for him, it, going and finishing 21st, it was basically a lost opportunity in a sense. But even then, when you consider, you know, what he's done so far this year, it's not as big of a deal. Um, what's bigger deals with his health concerns, knowing his 
history um, of whatever health problems or injuries that he's sustained over basically the past eight years, you know, that's where you have to wonder what the lingering effects will be for Hamlin. Uh, the fact that he blows a tire and then all these kind of problems. I mean, his, his spin was the reason why Kyle Busch didn't end up having a similar fate because he had a tire rub too. And if, if Denny doesn't blow a tire and hit the wall or whatever, I think Kyle Busch would have had the same, same result. And then his top 10 streak would have probably ended. But I mean, it's, it's, we've discussed it here. You can, for him, he has eight top 10 finishes, six top fives and two wins. You can have the 21st place finish anymore and it doesn't matter. In the old days, it would matter. But, you know, in today's mm-hmm. day and age of NASCAR, the 21st place finish isn't all that big of a deal. Um, it's more about his health that you have to see with Hamlin's history. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's just a, a fact that, you know, w- and, and the fact that we're running a Saturday race, Saturday night race, we're going to have to get in the car back on a Friday to do the practices and qualifying and all that stuff because we want a Saturday night race after a Monday afternoon race. Um, so not as much time to get that out of your system. And who will it affect them? I doubt it, but uh, you know, certainly not an ideal situation for Denny Hamlin and that 11 FedEx car. Uh, and, and just the fact that they didn't handle very well, that car didn't handle good at all. Um, yeah. And before, even before the spin, he had a, a real tough day and then he spun and then got the carbon dioxide. So it was a, it was a bad day for him all, all, around um a couple other disappointing days i thought ryan newman wasn't really great two laps down in 18th they were missing the handling on that car roush had a tough day uh stenhouse at the wall running the top 10 he ended up 33rd so um a couple of guys out there we'll get to the points in a little bit but i want to talk about um i guess the the topic the biggest topic of the of the day i guess after after monday's race at dover which was kyle bush's comments um, Kyle came out and basically said, Spencer, that, um, you know, you couldn't pass. It was really hard to pass. And, uh, he hated the package at Dover this weekend. You know, he was very critical on it from Friday, uh, before the weekend even started, really started. He was saying, Hey, we're too fast in the corner. This race isn't going to be very good. Now, a lot of people, myself included, there's been times where Kyle's, I think, gone off the rails and said some stupid stuff and he probably regretted it. Um, you know, but he came out today and this is a, a, a Wednesday and he said, I don't regret anything I said, basically, and I don't think I said anything wrong. Um, do you think Kyle said something wrong? I mean, Dover's a, a track historically where there's not, you know, let's let's be honest, there's not a ton of passing. It's it's sort of a race that back in the day it was an attrition race because it was it's so hard on equipment by how hard you land, by how fast you're going through the corners. Now with the attrition virtually gone, um, it's it's a race that uh, I think a lot of people look at as quote unquote boring. I love the track. I think it's awesome. But um, what were your thoughts on, on Kyle Busch's comments to start the weekend and to finish the weekend? Do you think he he had a right to say it, and do, or do you think he was wrong to say it? I mean, only one person can can control what comes out of his mouth, and that's him. You know, you either like it or you don't. If you don't like it, you can speak about it. And so, I mean, I would be the same way if I didn't like it. NASCAR needs feedback. If these drivers don't like it, uh, I think they have every right to uh, say what's on their mind. And, you know, he's one of the biggest names in the sport. And I feel like if, I mean, I know it wasn't everybody, but I feel like they should take that into consideration. But, I mean, I feel also like Kyle 
cries about a lot of things. Um, when his day don't go his way, there's always a little excuse. Um, and that's just me. You guys might think differently, but, um, so I, I don't know. Uh, like you said, it's one of the, the toughest tracks. Um, it, like you said, there's not a lot of passing. This isn't a track where you see passing constantly throughout the whole race, but, uh, you know, he definitely spoke his mind and, um, you know, thank God NASCAR didn't find him because, I mean, who cares if he said something bad about it, you know? So, yeah, he has every right, and I don't think he said anything wrong. You know, if I didn't like it, I would uh, speak my mind too, so. Yeah, I, you know, and you bring up a good point because that's what a lot of people were saying. He's a crybaby and stuff, but, you know, there's one or two instances I remember. One particular was, and Philip, I'm sure, will remember this. So Spencer, you might have been a little young for this since it was tw- uh, 12 years ago. It's hard to believe it was 12 years ago that we ran the first COT race uh, at Bristol, in 2007, this was before Kyle Busch was even at Joe Gibbs Racing. He was at Hendrick Motorsports still, and he won the first COT race at Bristol. And he got out of that car, and he said, I hate driving these things. They suck. And he was in victory lane, and he said it. Um, so, you know, he's he's been critical of the package. He's been critical – and I'll say this too. He's been critical of the package, this whole pa- this package, all year long. He's saying it's not it's not the right way to go. And he's got three wins on the year. So, um Philip, what are your thoughts on Bush's comments? And, and Spencer brought up a good point. Let me say this, too, before you, you comment, uh, about drivers need to be heard. Um, Harvard came out today and said, listen, the drivers aren't being heard by NASCAR. You know, we, we know the, uh, the driver's council has, has been complaining about that a lot, saying that they're not really heard. Um, what are your thoughts on Bush's comments? Do you think he was right to use the avenue of, of TV and radio to kind of kill the product a little bit? And do you think he, his comments had any merit? Yeah, I know that I I I took it uh, the takeaway from I'm no it's it's pretty clear that I'm not the biggest uh, advocate of Kyle Busch, but when it comes to somebody like him, and I mean top, tub of goo went and came out was like oh you won three races and now you're whining about the package. What does that mean? I'm like the guy is opinionated and he does come off as a whiny brat a lot. And you know Brad was most famous after they got into it in a in the Xfinity race. And on Saturday during the Saturday night race in 2010, he went and introduced himself and called Kyle Busch, uh, you know what? And uh, but he's right because in this case, this goes back to Richmond, which is it's it's also ironic that Martin won both of those races. That you can't pass. You, you, if you don't have the clean air, which has been a legitimate problem for like two decades, and they've figured out ways to make it worse and worse and worse, and it's a fundamental problem with the idiots that seem to run the sport, that they, they make it, they perpetuate the problem instead of trying to fix it and or don't listen to the people that want to fix it. Uh, Kyle had a valid point. You couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't do anything. The high line didn't even work unless you're Alex Bowman. So that took away the thing. The tires are rock hard. Having the, this package, you're going 14 miles an hour. Like Kevin said it, Harvick said it, 14 miles an hour faster in the corners, which is an absolute recipe for for no passing and no real racing. And also, if they had if Badger was you know what they usually are, they would have been knocking the wall down the way Jeff Burton did in, in 1994, or Phil Parsons in '93, or name whoever Alan Kowicki in '92. They'd have been knocking the wall down like nobody's business. The only one was O. Richard, but then he hits the wall almost every week with whether he wants to or not. Uh, 
I agreed with with Kyle's stance, and I further double down because Harvick is one of the only people that really can kind of get away with saying things because he plays, he's on both sides these days because he's a media, he's a TV announcer, basically he's going to be their lead analyst at Fox probably or lead announcer in a few years. And his radio show, he that's one of the only places where the truth is actually told is his radio show. And the product isn't great and they don't really care and Steve O'Donnell and all these talking heads and apologists, they're going to they're gonna make people drink the Kool-Aid, and they don't want to listen to the reality of the world. And that's a shame. And, and then they wonder why people are leaving this sport, or they wonder why they have problems selling out tracks and all that. I mean, it's, it's instances like this which kind of bring those points up to the forefront you know, that you're not, they don't care and they don't listen and they don't want to have anything to do with with the realities of the world. They just want to live in their own box and think everything is great. So they want to be in lush green mountains and waterfalls and that's up to them. They won't have any fans. Yeah, listen, um, you know, I think the the general consensus of this race, and, and I will be honest with you, I, I heard it live. I didn't wa- watch it live since it was a Monday. Um, but the general consensus of this race was the first two stages were outstanding, and the yeah. last one was, was eh. And you brought up a good point that Truex and Bowman had to come from the back, so maybe that was part of the reason why the race was so good. And if they started in the normal positions, maybe we would have had a little bit of different feeling on it. I think that's possible. Um, you know, And I think – is it possible, do you think, that, that these teams still, when they go to these racetracks for the first time with this new pack – with this new package, excuse me, that they are are starting to figure out the setups as the race goes along, and once they figure out the setup, they realize there's no, you know, and they get the more the handling a little bit better, the passing sort of evens itself out. Do you think that's possible, or is that just kind of theory? Like, like I know, and and we see, we'll see this as the year goes on. These teams will find more downforce as these races go on. Uh, they always do. They always have. They always will. And uh, even more downforce than we already have. So do you think that's something where it could have been why the first two stages were really good? Whereas because these teams are still sort of ironing some things out. And as soon as they, they figured out how to race this racetrack and, the, and how they wanted these cars to handle, that the racing sort of leveled out and there wasn't a whole lot of passing at the end. Because I'll say this, and, and this is what drives me crazy. I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here, and I apologize. But there's people out there who say, you know, Ooh, 11 cars on the lead lap, that means it can't be a good race. Or, uh, you know, uh, the somebody led by nine and a half seconds, that means it can't be a good race. How can a race in 1985 be great when they won by nine seconds and there was only 11 cars on the lead lap? Well, that's what this race had. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean it was a bad race. But I guess what I'm getting at is at the second in the second half of this race, Truex really hit the setup really was dominant, and maybe it is the lack of tire fall-off. Maybe that is part of it. Maybe the part it's the part of, of Goodyear not bringing a tire that was soft enough to sort of wear and change the setup on these race cars a lot. But I think this is the biggest thing to me, Philip, is that from 10 years ago, the biggest difference from 10, 15 years ago, and, I, and I'm not trying to sound like a, a person who's got an engineering degree because that's, I, I don't. 
But to me, at least as a fan, the biggest difference between now and 15 years ago is that these car setups don't seem to change as much during the race as they had in the past. Where, you know, hey, a driver at one point of the race could be leading and running second for most, and all of a sudden just drop off and finish 25th. You know, and somebody who could be running 25th can make an adjustment and they'll be up in the top 10 and having a good night. That, to me, is, is sort of what's lacking. Do you agree with that, or, or what is this whole – is it the tire? What do you think about that whole uh, handling here in the second half of this race? Because I think the second half of this race was, was the problem people point to. Yeah, I mean the, the ability to pass and all in the speeds in the corners and all these – different aspects. I mean, I'm no engineer myself. I'm just a writer and a longtime fan and of, of the sport. And I've seen the, how the evolution of these cars have went. And, and it's like, the, I, I bring it back. They don't have any front travel anymore. And the front ends don't have any, virtually any travel. And then the tires are basically the springs. And the tires are are harder than the rocks that are in my landscaping, and you. So there's no the, the and another thing that came up during the, the the day is that anytime they went under yellow, all the rubber would get picked up. Back years ago, when the tire would actually put down rubber, not only would it put down rubber, it would actually get into the racetrack, and it would make the track slick. It would make you actually have to get off the gas and actually make you work a little bit. The point is, unless your car was stuck down low, which is what Truex had once he got it going, it's not, in all reality, it's no different now than what we had last year or the year before, three years or five or seven or ten. The point is, it doesn't matter what NASCAR tries to do, this this dependence on, on aero, and engineering and engineering a car. Like I, I made the comment I, I, on, uh, on my own Facebook that I'm like, it's basically 3,500 pound F1 cars because they're so stuck and there's nothing stopping them. You know, like they could, it's like slot cars. So right. what's, what's the point? We're not, the whole point of cup is that it's freaking difficult. Like I get the mechanicals. They don't have mechanicals anymore. The days of you blow up at the field, blows engines or whatever, that's done. I get it. I, the people hitting the wall, knocking the wall down doesn't really happen because Goodyear doesn't want the perception of making a bad tire, even though they do. Uh, but, you know, th- there's a lot of things that used to make a race interesting don't happen anymore. And like you said, you're not able to adjust cars and make them better. There's very minute adjustments you can make because these pit stops are so fast anymore. You can't make a wedge adjustment or a track bar adjustment. And all, well, you can, but you have to be right on it or whatever. You can. There's all these rules. Like there's so many rules and they'll never release the rule book, which is one thing that's amazing. One of the many things that's amazing on NASCAR for all the BS they make up the, the Kool-Aid they make people drink. They won't release the rule book. One thing I have, I have the NHRA, rule book over here right to my right i have it in on the chair next to my bookshelf i bought that it was like 10 bucks and they give it to if anyone goes to the nhra race you could buy the rule book 
that's there. That should tell you all you need to know about NHR. I mean, fa- frankly, they have about a tenth or of the viewing audience or whatever. But at least I could go to an NHRA event and I could get the rules and I know what's what what is there. NASCAR makes up their rules. You know, they 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 write them in crayon and then they just make up a rule and say, all right, here or we just throw some putty out on the wall and smack it on the wall and see if it sticks. That's how they make rules, which is why people another reason why people are leaving. Yeah. And they just don't care. They don't have any respect for the people that have knowledge. They they well, just caught, they go and cater to the LCD. Well, I'll say this, and this is and and we'll move on to the Xfinity series right after this, but I just want to um say this, you know, everybody's come out and said it's always been arrow dependent. You've always had clean air, and to an extent, they're right. But it wasn't at Dover. It wasn't. You never really cared. Heard clean air at Rockingham. You never heard clean air at Martinsville. You only heard it on the big tracks. That aerodynamics mm-hmm. and clean air and all that kind of stuff was important, and now you hear it everywhere. So that to me yeah. is is where is the biggest difference from now than we had 15 years ago. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. Allied Steel Buildings two hundred. NASCAR Xfinity Series race. Christopher Bell went to victory lane. He beat out Justin Allgaier, Tyler Reddick, Cole Custer, and Chase Briscoe, the top five. Um, a good race for Christopher Bell there. Spencer, I thought he ran a, a, a tremendous race there. He's a good race car driver. But uh, Cole Custer, I want to talk about him. He led 155 of the races, 200 laps on Saturday. Um, you know, kind of got to fourth because of pit stops his team didn't get him out i think he got out second or third on a pit stop and he never really could get a clean air again to get him out front but i'm going to say this and i put an ad out on a, on a piece that i wrote a couple of days ago on frontstretch.com about um cole custer and his crew chief mike shiplett listen mike shiplett and cole custer have seemed to be absolutely clicking on all cylinders my question to you is is cole custer now a championship contender in this Xfinity series, because I think we've seen, I think I've seen enough to the first 10 races of this Xfinity series season. I've seen enough to say, Hey, that double zero could run for the championship. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think he can, uh, but he's kind of, and Spencer, I think we lost you there, bud. Um, but yeah, Philip, what do you think? You know, Mike Shiplett's a great crew chief. Um, you know, you talked about it at nauseum about the, what the 42 car, um, and, and how he was great there the last four or five years did one with, I think six different drivers in that 42 car in the Xfinity series a year, a couple, the last couple of years. And, uh, now he's with Cole Custer. They seem to be really clicking on all cylinders. Uh, what about Custer? You think he's a, he's a guy who can run for the championship. Absolutely. Uh, the point is the way that they're running and the way Cole Custer is one of the luckiest guys there is in that double zero team and Stuart Haas, you know, the implosion of the DC solar deal and the 42 and all that really, um, because this, it makes me feel bad for, for Ross Chastain, even though he still seems to do work no matter what he drives. Uh, but it really makes me feel bad for Ross Justin in a sense, because he could have been doing this like every week. But what it says also is that Cole Custer has taken his level up. He's brought himself up to that level with Chris Bell. You know, we talk about Chris Bell on the show about where he's going to go next year in a cup car, 
or made whatever now it seems like now the push is that he's going to stay in Xfinity another year. But, you know, the, the, the reality is he's pushed himself to that level and it's in large part because Mike Shiflin is there. If he didn't have the 42 cup crew working on him or whatever, that terrible pit stop, he wins that race. And, but the reality is it's those two guys and the Shiflet's addition to this organization has been huge and it's making a major, major, and it, 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 it makes Cole Custer a real favorite. I mean, he has to beat the 20. It's all, it all revolves around the 20. It was the same case last year. It's going to be the same case this year. And when you look at the top four positions, it's the top four guys in the series right now. Bell, Allgaier, Reddick, and Custer. And then when you look at it after that, Chase Briscoe is one of those next-tier guys. He's still figuring it out, brand-new team, stuff like that. But mm-hmm. the it's it's between right now, if you're going to bring it down, those are the four cars. Those four cars, if they could go and sign right now at Homestead for the final four, they want this final four because it would be a perfect, it would be an amazing race and all the different characters and all the different stuff that's going on with that. But, uh, yeah, Cole, Cole Custer is a fa- is a favorite. He's not the favorite. It's Chris Bell, but he's one of the only ones that's making him sweat and making him earn it, which, yeah. uh, which is a good sign. And, and it's a good sign for the series that they, that of course the media has to actually properly push this big four. Cause like the way they pushed the big three last year, they need to push the big four. Uh, as mm-hmm. the season goes on, once they come back in Charlotte in a few weeks, because it's really interesting with these four guys. Yeah, I'll tell you what, um, uh, you know, just and and the Xfinity series is a fun series, but just to watch Custer and how good he's been this year with Mike Shipwood as his crew chief, I just it's he's taken the right the next step in the right direction. Um, and I think he's he's done a heck of a job, and we'll see if they can continue that. I think they will, um, but you never know. But we'll see if they can continue that as the season goes on because uh, they could be a real big threat if they – I mean, it just seems like everywhere they go now, there's just a little bit extra speed in that double zero where they were close last year, but there's a little bit more extra speed in that double zero, and they're out there not only winning races but leading a lot of laps. Uh, and, and I think with a little bit more experience, maybe the, with a little bit more experience underneath their belt, uh, if they come back here in October for the playoff race, I think they would win that race. But that's how good that car was. But, you know, they just got a little bit off there at the end, and they weren't able to win. Uh, NASCAR Camping World Truck Series uh, – excuse me, NASCAR Gander Outdoor Truck Series race at Dover International Speedway. Uh, Jags 200 is a Friday afternoon race. Interesting race, Spencer, on, on since it's a Friday afternoon at Dover because they don't have lights there, so the truck series uh, can't run on Saturday nights. Uh, or Friday nights like we normally see them, so they run they run about four or five o'clock in the afternoon on Friday at Dover. Johnny Sauter, the veteran, was in front. He won it. Uh, Brett Moffitt was second. Harrison Burton third. Grant Enfinger was fourth. And Matt Crafton ended up uh, rounded out your top five. Then it was Ben Rhodes, Austin Hill, Derek Krause, Tyler Ankrum, and Ross Chastain rounded out the top ten um, for the Truck Series. What were your thoughts on the Truck Series Jags 200 from Dover? Uh, yeah, I was uh, really pulling for Brett Moffat. That. That's why I picked the win, and I wanted to look like a genius here on the show, but just came up a little bit short. But, uh, yeah, uh, Brett Moffat was definitely the uh, the truck of the field, I thought. 
He uh, stayed up front, and then uh, once Sauter got to him, Sauter, uh, eh, Sauter was a uh, a tough match for him and uh, was just able to get out in front of him and stay there. And um, But, yeah, I thought it was a good race. Um, I always like the truck races. I always think they got a lot of action. I always think they're exciting. Uh, a lot more fun than the Xfinity and Cup races. Um, so you got a bunch of young kids out there, and they give it all they got. But, uh, yeah, um, you know, Sauter is uh, locked into the playoffs now. And, um, you know, we it was only a matter of time before we knew that uh, win was coming for him. So, uh, oh, so close for Moffitt, but uh, 13 comes out on top. And, uh, yeah, overall, I thought it was a decent race. Yeah, interesting day, um, Philip, for Todd Gilland. I think he's a guy you look at as a lot of people took – this year when the year started that he was going to go out and win the championship or at least be a contender for the championship because he's a young kid and accomplished motorsports, Toyota. He does a lot of great things. Um, we've had some issues. He's had some, a rocky, rocky start here. His best finish this season is seventh at Las Vegas. His only other top tens and ninth at Atlanta, 19th at Daytona, 15th at Martinsville, 14th at Fort Worth and the 15th at Dover got in a wreck. Really wasn't his fault, but he wasn't running great to begin with. Um, he's led one lap this season. That's it. Are you concerned at all about Todd Gilliland? This is one of the uh, people who, when you look at his past success in the Canaan series, the West series, he won back-to-back championships, six win years, was dominant in that series, 13 wins and 29 starts. Uh, had seven wins and 22 starts in the Canaan East series. But has come to the truck series, and we just haven't seen the same success from Todd Gilliland. He got called out in the beginning of the year by his team owner, Kyle Busch, saying, we need to see a little bit more from Todd Gilliland here in his second year in trucks. Haven't really seen it yet. What are your thoughts on Gilliland and, and uh, that four team so far this year off to a little bit of a rocky start? Yeah, I mean, the, the Gilliland got into it with Sheldon Creed, and Sheldon Creed had qualified really well, and he had his best chance so far early in his truck series career to go and win and lost that whole deal um, in that one wreck there. And Gilland, the pressure, I think, is really getting to him. But I also believe that, I don't know, Kyle Busch Motorsports for the last few years has had a really had a really big advantage, I think, in certain areas. And especially when Kyle jumps in the truck and he goes and wins without a problem, you know, it's kind of like, okay, why can't his, why can't his drivers do the same? Uh, that's the question that comes up, but obviously it's not the same thing. I don't know what the disconnect is, but since Todd Gillen, even last year, everyone thought, oh, he's going to win and he's going to lock in. He didn't. And now he's being outperformed by Harrison. I mean, Harrison has two DNS, but he's got 22 points on him. You know, that's, and it's, it's not a good look for the Kyle Busch team. They're going to have to do some work here to give themselves a, a chance to to make it into the uh, both teams to make it into the playoff because right now I mean basically right now it's ten trucks for the eight spots and Austin is already locked in and that team's not very good but you know Gilliland and Creed are the only two trucks that really have a chance at it right now outside and. For Gilliland, yeah, he won ARCA, the ARCA race, and all the people in the media center were asking, what are you feeling about the truck series? How do you feel about your situation there? So it's hard for him 
after what he did and, you know, for Bill McAnally not being able to perform for Kyle Busch. I mean, other guys have been in Kyle Busch equipment and haven't really done that great. And then there's also the flip side. They've done really well in Kyle Busch equipment, and then it hasn't transferred over to other series like Bubba Walls. Um, so, I mean, we'll see what happens as the season goes on. I think this weekend is a, is a great opportunity since the 18 truck won there last year with uh, um, what's his name uh, driving it. Uh, I uh, forgetting his name, but uh, the 18 truck won last um, year's no Gregson. No, no Gregson. Yeah. So he won last year in this race. And uh, I would assume since Kyle isn't running and mm-hmm. since they are behind, I would, I would think that he would want to start making some moves to make them a little more competitive and get them up there at a cookie cutter track at a track that is going to be basically what most of the races that they're going to be running in the playoffs are like. It's going to be a litmus test for both the four and the 18 to a lesser extent. Yeah, it's going to be, listen, I'm just curious. That team's always curious to me. Gilland, I talked about his success in the East and West series. He was just dominant, as dominant as you can be. He was Um, in those series. He was like, wow, this kid's going to win a ton of races. No matter what he's in, he's going to come in. He's going to win a a bunch of races. He's going to do everything he could possibly do. Uh, And you're going to see him just, just take off and, he hasn't done it yet. It's just kind of saying, okay, when are we going to see the Todd Gilliland we've seen from years past? We haven't seen it yet. Where? And it just seems like it's not coming. Maybe it's this weekend at Kansas Speedway. We'll see. That's where the Truck Series are in action on Saturday night. The Truck Cup, or excuse me, on Friday night the Truck Series are in action, um, and on Saturday night the Cup Series are, are is in action for um, for that. You know, the a real disappointing. Uh, news today out of the truck series was on point motorsports brennan pool the driver of that team they've run all six races so far this season pools 13 in points i don't think they were going to compete for a championship this year philip um but not a great um sign here as on point motorsports has decided to skip kansas and uh it sounds like they're going to reevaluate their program but what it really does for Brendan Poole is if he was able to pull off a win somewhere, whether it was track, uh, fuel mileage, track position, or you know somewhere, he was able to pull off a win. He no longer can get the um, get into the playoffs that way. So um, Stephen Lane, the crew chief and the owner of that team, has decided to sort of back it down a little bit. Um, just a quick discussion here about the business side of the truck series. Um, you know, we've seen the the crate engine the Elmore engine, and I want to get a, a former team owner on to talk about it, but uh, it can't be doing that great, and it can't be saving the teams all this money if we if we only have 27 trucks showing up to Kansas, um, and a, a truck series team that was ready to go to Kansas that said, you know what, we can't go anymore. Um, what are your thoughts on on the whole Elmore engine and this whole um, this whole truck series here with On Point Motorsports shut, uh, stepping back a little bit? I, I mean, the business side of the truck series has been screwed up for a long time. Uh, the fact that On Point Motorsports went away is whatever. Um, they weren't really a factor uh, with Brendan Poole anywhere outside of, like, the restrictor plate races. Uh, 
sponsorship aside or one particular sponsor aside, but the the business side of the truck series has been bad for a long time and it continues to get worse. And when you consider that we talk about, okay, there's 10 trucks rate spots and legitimately it's three organizations that own all those, all those trucks. It's, it's store sport, Kyle Bush and, and GMS, you know, so it sounds to me, it's just like a lower, ver- it's just a lesser version of the the cup where you have Penske and Gibbs and, and whatever, Hendrick or, you know, Penske, Gibbs, Stuart Haas and Hendrick, you know, like that's basically what the cup series is. And it's to the same extent in, in the Xfinity. Uh, they don't have a good business model. They haven't had a good business model. It's expensive to run the trucks. They have a ridiculous schedule uh, that makes no sense. They have trucks that are over-scienced out and too um, aero-dependent. Uh, they basically got away from what made the truck series great for years. And uh, the expense to run a truck when you win – 12,500 or whatever they win for winning a race, it's as bad as winning an IndyCar race. That isn't the Indianapolis 500. They make no money winning race. They make 30,000 to win an IndyCar race. So it's the same It's the same bad business for winning a truck race. Uh, and they don't want to fix it and they don't care. And these low vehicle counts, maybe they think getting ARCA and K&N morph together might you know change some things maybe get some of those organizations over to trucks like bill mcanally's there with Derek Krause, but i strongly doubt it yeah it's just alarming because this is the second time in two weeks we've seen the team back out of the entry list uh, on point motorsports this weekend at kansas of course and then Corey roper's team backed out last week at dover and you're gonna say oh well will those teams add to the field you know and this is what drives me crazy about this sport sometimes is when people say that, you know, when you, when these spo- when some big time sponsors start in this sport, they start at the smaller teams. I mean, mm-hmm. Five Hour Energy was a sport was a sponsor that was big into the sport for a long time, and they started at Rusty Wallace Incorporated with Stephen Wallace. People forget that, you know, and um, it makes sense in a way because if you're a a, a sponsor, you're going to sort of dip your toes into the water a little bit with a smaller team and just see how you like it. You're not going to go pay the money that these bigger teams are asking unless you've been in it for a long time. Um, so it sort of gives them an, an avenue. Uh, I would love to break down the the, um, the finances of a truck series team and all that kind of stuff that goes on. Uh, so maybe we'll, we'll do that here in the next week or so. Uh, I got a couple of contacts I'll try and reach out to. But um, I want to thank Philip Matthew and Spencer Cowan for, for tonight. You guys did a great job here on Talking Circles tonight. We'll be back here on Sunday after Kansas. Kansas is Saturday night this week, um, you know, and we won't be able to speak to you till Sunday night. But obviously, if you have a mother uh, and, you know, um, she's great like my mother is. I'm sure Phillips – I know Spencer's mother is. I'm sure Phillips' mother is as well. Wish him a happy Mother's Day. Uh, give him something nice and um, be sure to, uh, you know, make, make their Mother's Day memorable here and, and enjoy some racing. On Saturday at Kansas, Friday night, of course, Truck Series in action as well. We'll see you next time on Talking Circles. Good night, everybody.